Well, it's a joy and an honor and a privilege to be with you again. Thank you for tuning in and watching. And uh, may the Lord bless you as you do. And we're looking at our Sunday school lesson for October the 29th. And uh, here we are, full-fledged into fall and heading into the holiday season. And I pray that you do have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm always concerned, <coughs> pardon me, that Thanksgiving gets overlooked and crowded out. Seems like in our world today, Christmas is coming sooner and sooner. And uh, we find people that are celebrating Halloween more and more and more. And what gets crowded out? Poor little old Thanksgiving. And yet Thanksgiving may be the most biblical holiday that we have because we're never commanded to celebrate the birth of Christ, but we are commanded to give thanks, aren't we? And uh, we uh, need to be thankful because God has done so much for us and being so good to us, even in uh, our nation and the problems that we have, God is still so very, very good. And just the fact that we're doing this is evidence of that. A lot of people in the world would uh, not know what to do with the freedom that we have. So may the Lord have grace on America and bless us. And as we look at this lesson and think about uh, coming to the end of another year, uh, to thank him for life and to thank him for our spiritual growth and to thank him for the way his word has enriched us and fed us and strengthened us. And we certainly pray that that would be the case as we study this lesson as well. Well, last week we looked at the flesh and how ugly and awful it is. And we made the statement that in the um, works of the flesh, that you may not do all of those kind of things, but you're certainly capable of it. And uh, today we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Now, why did he call one the works and the other the fruit? Works versus fruit. Maybe there's a, a reason. Now, the introduction says so much of our quote-unquote Christian experience is psychological, entertainment-driven, uh, quality and talent-based, and more of a show that makes us happy or meets our needs. Now, the idea of worship is we apply worth to something we normally don't think of, and that is God. God is so taken for granted. His name is used in vain. His law is ignored. And uh, there's so much that goes in our society that we go, I did that. We did that. Look how great we are when it was really by the blessing of God. And so sometimes that creeps even into our worship. We come more for the show. Boy, I really like that. Well, you're not the one that we're worshiping, are you? And sometimes we look at things and say, man, I really felt the spirit on that. And what you really felt was production value, talent, those kind of things of the performers. And you didn't really participate in it. You watched it and uh, you applauded what was going on where worship is something that we all do and we are to do it together in the way that we think, in the way that we're motivated, in the way that we're fed in the way that we're blessed, in the way that it makes us think of God and surrender to God, glorify God and praise God more than ever before. So uh, consider some of the things that are going on in the name of God and in the name of worship that really are uh, just the same as what you would find at a, at a rock concert or a country music festival or a, uh, a, a movie 
or a, a, a live play or something like that. And, and there's something where we realize that falls short of where God <clears throat> really wants us to be because the early church had none of that, did they? None of that. And yet they did so much and touched their world. And we have so much and we're doing so little. Maybe it's because even in the things we try to do right, we're kind of missing the mark. So we need to understand that worship is not about us satisfying, satisfying us, informing us and all of that. Hopefully that happens, but it's about focusing on God, pleasing God, honoring God and glorifying God. So every time we read the Bible, we need to look for Jesus in the scripture. We need to look for the glory of God in the scripture. And we need to make sure that we're applying it so that God is honored and glorified. That's what true worship is. Now, uh, all those things we mentioned, let's uh, move on in here. This is not the true essence of worship or even of Christian living, is it? Remember, Paul told us whether we eat or whether we drink, the most mundane, basic things of life were to do all to the glory of God. Man, do we ever miss the mark in that? I uh, probably have gotten more than one glass of water. We, I like getting it out of our refrigerator. It's filtered and it's chilled. And I've probably done that more than one time. That's an understatement where I didn't even give a thought to the glory of God. Yet the command of scripture is whether you eat or drink. I'm sure there have been plenty of times I've eaten a snack <clears throat> or a meal. <clears throat> Most of the time when I eat a meal, I do think about the Lord and ask him to bless that and give thanks. But, uh, you know, not every time. And uh, it depends on whether we're sitting at the table or sitting in front of the TV, right? And uh, we don't always ask a blessing over our snacks, do we? Snacks don't count. They're, we're exempt from that kind of thing. And of course, I'm being somewhat facetious in all of this, uh, but also honest. And uh, so I'm commanded to eat and drink to the glory of God. Uh, maybe that would control weight if we really did that. Maybe that would keep us from gorging and overeating or eating unhealthily if we really did it to the glory of God. And so what I'm saying is I look at that, the most basic things of life. Oh, good gravy. You may want to fire me as your pastor. I can't even get that right. And I suspect that I'm not alone. So if you uh, want to cast a stone, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, right? We struggle with these kind of things. We can't even get the little basic things right. And so we try harder and we're going to do better this next time. And um, Paul said, well, this is because we're not walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit produces all of the right things that God desires in our life. And it is God who is at work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You ever heard that before? It's in the scripture. And so uh, we find out that God has more that he wants to do in us, through us, and for us. And yet we're over here stuck saying, I'm going to drink this water to the glory of God. Well, if I'm living my life to the glory of God, then I will. If I'm living it to satisfy my flesh, then I won't. It really is that simple. So, all of this is telling us that whether we are worshiping God <clears throat> or just living the Christian life, singing praises, 
to his name. I think about Paul, the apostle and Silas singing praises at midnight. Contextually, they're in prison. They're chained up. They have muscles cramping. They can't move. They're in the inner part of the prison. It is absolutely miserable. They have been beaten unjustly, illegally, and they're confined illegally. Now, how would you do in that situation? If I can't get the drinking water thing right, I'm really going to fail in that. It's a good thing I didn't live back then or have to go through that. And yet they did it. Now, why in the world would you sing hymns and praises to God in those conditions at midnight when everything is so unjust instead of being angry and rebellious and uh, just crazy with rage? Why would you do that? Because Paul and Silas were controlled by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God wanted to sing. And so they did what the Spirit of God wanted to do. That's the essence of being filled with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And if the Holy Spirit wants to witness, I witness. If the Holy Spirit wants me to give thanks, I give thanks. If he wants me to rejoice, I rejoice. If he wants me to shun evil, I shun evil. On and on and on we could go like that. It's just so incredibly simple. But we get it all mixed up and messed up, and we can't really tell because sometimes the flesh disguises itself, lies to us, and hides I'm really doing this for God when we're really doing it for ourselves, right? So what Paul did there in prison, that's not something that flesh would want, but it is what the Holy Spirit would produce. And so when we get to Galatians 5.22, we see things that are always produced in a believer's life by the Spirit because the Spirit doesn't and cannot produce anything else. So when you have that thing coming out of you that you don't like, don't blame it on God. Don't blame it on the Holy Spirit. You had the resources and the power not to do it and to produce something beautiful and lovely and good and praiseworthy, but you didn't. Okay. So um, we talk about this and we call it fruit. What is fruit? If I see an apple tree and it's got an apple growing on it, the apple is the outward manifestation of what is inside the tree. Think of it like this. The fruit of your life is the outward manifestation of what's inside of you. Ouch. That kind of hurts, doesn't it? So uh, it's not emotions. It's not circumstances. It's not your talent or ability. It's not what any of that produces. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It is the evidence of actually having the Spirit, which is how we know we're saved. If you're not saved, you, you're devoid of the Spirit, the Bible says. If you are saved, you possess the Spirit. Now you're supposed to walk in Him. Well, what does the Holy Spirit look like in my life? Now you notice in here, nothing said about tongues, nothing said about miracles, nothing said about wealth, nothing said about any of those kind of things. But here's what it says. But the fruit, the outworking, the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. How are you doing so far? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, there is no law. In other words, when you're walking in the Spirit, you will never violate the law of God. Only when you walk in the flesh. Get it? It's so simple, but it's not very easy, is it?
And those who are Christ, would that be you? Have crucified or killed the flesh with its passions and desires. Everybody wants to follow their passion. Well, what if, you, what if your passion is supposed to be crucified? Some passions are not good. Some passions are not of God. Some passions are produced for the glory of man and they're demonic and they're produced by the flesh. Got to be careful. So if we live in the spirit, which all believers do, that's where we get our life. Let us also walk or live in our daily life, live in the spirit and let us not become conceited. The flesh always does that provoking one another. The flesh is always pushing and condemning and putting down other people. Don't, don't do that. And envying one another. Well, I wish I had what you have. Well, you've had a charm life. You've had everything so easy and I had to struggle for everything I've got. Those are words of the flesh because Christians see that as this is just the sovereignty of God. You may have been raised in a wealthy family. I may have been raised in a log cabin somewhere. That's the sovereignty of God. You can do better with your life, but only as God ordains, right? And so we don't envy other people. We praise God for that. So let's get into the lesson. Number one, it's fruit as opposed to work. Fruit as opposed to work. Now let's uh, try to define that because it says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then it names them. So we want to note the difference. There's a reason why God says that. Now, a tree does not work to produce fruit. It's just natural. You see, the works would be uh, planting the tree. Did the tree dig the hole that it was planted in? Did the tree amend the soil? Did the tree bring water to itself? Did the tree fertilize itself or any of those things? N no. The tree was just put into the soil and it really didn't have any choice about all of that. And there are so many things in our life that we just don't have any choice about. I don't have the talent that some people have. I don't have the communicative skills that some people have. I don't have the abilities and the creativity that some people have. So what am I supposed to do? Be inadequate the entire time or just be what I'm supposed to be and do what I'm supposed to do in the power that God supplies. I'll never walk on the moon and you probably won't either. I'll never be president of the, of the United States and you probably won't either. I'll probably never be a member of Congress and you probably won't either. I'll never play for the NFL or the NBA or uh, MLB or anything like that at all. And most of you won't either. Why? Because God didn't give us that opportunity and he didn't give us that ability, but some will. And they need to give glory to God for that. And any Christian who has the ability to do those things certainly ought to do it for the glory of God because the flesh always goes the other way. But the tree, we have to kind of, let's call it bloom where we're planted here. A tree doesn't water itself, plant itself, or enhance the soil. It just lives the life of the tree and the fruit is natural. And fruit is the natural result of the inner life. The apple tree bears apples because that's the tree's inner nature. You and I bear love, joy, and peace, and all of those nine aspects because that's the nature we've been given by God. We've got to walk in the spirit. Work is the self-effort achieving some sort of reward, the wages of sin, for example. 
Uh, that's a reward, isn't it? And so uh, that's the difference. And so there's the natural output of fruit because of the inner working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, number two. Notice the varied aspects of the singular fruit. It's not fruits. People say all the time, the fruits of the Spirit. Well, I've got love and I've got peace and I've got long suffering, but yeah, I don't really have those other things. No, it's all one singular fruit. Think about this. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. Think of it like this. How could all of that be one fruit? Well, think of an apple, okay? When you look at the apple, it has a core. That's the middle part of it. That's where the seed is and all of that. Think of the core as being love, joy, and peace. Then you have the flesh of the apple, that white part that you eat, where the juice is and everything. And think of the flesh of the fruit of the Spirit being long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. And then think about the outer skin, the peel of the apple, that red part of it, as being fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some can be seen and some can't. Some affects what the rest of the apple is like. For example, if I bit into an apple and the peeling was great and the core was great, but the inside of it was getting soft and mushy and uh, starting to rot, I, I wouldn't take more than one bite out of that apple. You know the old joke? What's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Finding half a worm, right? You don't continue eating on all of that. Ah, this is terrible and it's uh, rotten, and uh, we, we don't like it. It's all kind of a package deal that has to be all together and all right. And we need all of these things in our lives. We don't just pick and choose these things to, uh, you know, pick whatever we uh, want for the day or the aspect of it that we want. Uh, it's all one thing. Do you have that in your life? And if you're saved, you do. You have the capacity for all of that if you would just yield to the Spirit. Three, to bear Christ's fruit requires dying to all else. Now that's what we really don't want to do. We say we want to bear fruit. Yeah, but there's one problem. I just don't want to die. Uh, we want to bear fruit and we want to be everything God wants us to be and to live in the fullness of the Spirit and of His life. But don't ask me to give up anything. Don't ask me to lay aside anything. Don't ask me to do something that is painful. Don't ask me to do anything that is hard. Don't ask me to do anything that is unpleasant. Well, sorry, it just doesn't work that way. That tree, in order to bear fruit, has to give up something. The life of the tree goes out to the branch, to that blossom, and that tree puts its energy into the production of the fruit. And sometimes we had fruit trees when I was growing up in Owasso, and there were times when the fruit would be so heavy it would uh, break limbs. There were times it would be so heavy on the tree, there would be so much of it that we had to kind of prop the branches up to keep them from breaking. And uh, there was one time we had a tree that bore so much fruit that it literally split down the middle. But you know what? The tree is happy to do that because it is in the bearing of fruit that the tree 
I guess in essence we could say never really dies because the fruit bears the seed that is planted that uh, produces another tree. So theoretically it goes on and on and on and on as the tree bears fruit, gives up its life, another one comes in its place, that tree bears fruit, gives up its life and energy, and that's the way the Christian life is supposed to be. After all, we're told that we are to follow Christ, and the only way we can follow Christ, these are the words of Jesus, take up your cross, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow after him. Well, there's got to be a better way than that. There's got to be an easier way than that. And Jesus, why did you say that? Nobody's going to want to do that. That's contrary to everything. I mean, we're after life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Nobody's going to want to follow that except true believers, except people that have the Spirit of God in them producing the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why it can't be done in the flesh, and that's why so many drop away and fall away. So to bear, the, bear Christ's fruit requires dying to all else. And all those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its accompanying passions and desires. So belonging to Christ requires self-denial. May I ask you a question? Where does self-denial fit in anybody's Christian life today? And so often it doesn't. There's no self-denial, no giving up of the things that we want. We uh, find a way where we can do all of this and go to heaven too. Matthew 16, 24. Then when Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so we've got to die to our rights and die to our permission to produce the works of the flesh. Now your flesh will always tell you, you had a right to be angry. You had a right to that sexual sin. You had a right to the way you ignored somebody else. You have a right to live for yourself and to gain all of your possessions and not be generous with anything. You have a right. Isn't that what it says? The fruit of the Spirit says, give up your rights, die to self, follow me, be like Jesus who went around doing good and who sacrificed his life and laid down his life for the sheep. Eh, I don't really want to do that. That's to our peril. We die to our rights or permission to produce the works of the flesh. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is what we're called to do. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may approve that you may prove, pardon me, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's not three aspects of the will of God. Some people think there's a good will of God, there's an acceptable will of God, and then there's the perfect will of God. Aim for the perfect. No, those are three adjectives describing the one will of God, which is for you to walk in the Spirit <clears throat> and not according to the flesh, and for you to bear fruit for His glory. Now, because we have the Holy Spirit, we have all of the fruit, all of the time. 
The Holy Spirit is never absent and he is never deficient. And that reminds me of John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, where Jesus gives kind of a parable about the fruit. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the farmer, in other words. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, prunes it, so that every branch that does bear fruit, uh, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, got ahead of myself, that he may bear more fruit. So those things that God cups out of your life, he's not mad at you. He's not trying to kill you. He's trying to get you to where you put more energy into the fruit bearing branches of your life so that you actually bear more fruit. Now, Jesus says already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. Well, isn't that what the fruit tree does? It uh, is abiding in the life that is in it, which produces the fruit. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm in you and I abide in you and I've already cleansed you by my word. Now be at home with me. Rest in me. Trust in me is what that means, what the word abide means. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can it be any more clear than that? Our problem is we don't abide in Christ. Our problem is we don't have the life of Christ flowing through us in every single thing that we do, and yet that's what we're called for. Where's the fruit? Well, if you're saved, there's some somewhere. And we may have to go through the leaves and find it. There it is, a little dried up, shriveled up uh, raisin there instead of a grape. But hey, at least it's something, and at least it's fruit, and at least it's consistent. But Jesus said, I don't want you just to have a little shriveled up thing somewhere that people have to look for. For I want you to be seen and I want your fruit to be evident to see that. I used to love when I was a kid when we would go to Southern California and we would see the orange trees. Isn't that wonderful? And all of the brilliant orange color from those fruits on the green trees. Man, I loved all of that and I love oranges. And uh, that was just a beautiful thing to see. Much fruit. Not one that you had to go searching for and look for. And then when you got it, it was a very poor quality. So what's the fruit like in your life? And it depends upon whether you are walking in the spirit and abiding in Christ or walking in the flesh. It really is, as we've said all through this, that simple. Not easy, but it is simple. You've got to die to self because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So being filled with the spirit means to be controlled in every area of life being surrendered to him. Ephesians 5.18 is the famous verse. And to be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled or controlled with the spirit. And the metaphor there is just as if you were to take a bottle of Jack Daniels and, and drink it and then go out and drive your car, you would probably be stopped and charged with driving under the influence, D. U-I. 
And Paul says, rather than being under the influence of alcohol, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Alcohol would permeate the way you think, the way you act, the way you perform. And in the same way, we are to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So it changes the way we think, the way that we act, the way that we perform, and even the way, of course, that we speak. This is all the work of God. We've got to get that in our head. All of God in us, through us. Number four, the Spirit's fruit affects our lifestyle. Not just what we do in church, not just how we feel at certain times and in certain ways. Everything, the good, the bad, in sickness and in health, poverty as in wealth, right? Good times as well as bad times. Kind of like the marriage vows say, well, we're the bride of Christ. We're married to Him. This affects us regardless of what we may be experiencing or going through. And it says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, which we do, that's the only way you can be saved is to have the Holy Spirit give you faith, give you life, draw you to Christ, make you spiritually alive. So if we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit, daily life. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. So our worship, our beliefs, our doctrine, all of those kind of things should be matched by our lifestyle. It should also affect our relationships, what we think about other people, how we react to them, how we pray for them, how we love them, and how we interact with all of them. That's all in there, isn't it? And the fruit of the Spirit makes you blessable. Words not in the dictionary, but blessable. You want to be blessable. For God to be able to bless you the way that He wants to, He has certain requirements of you. Put yourself in line to be blessable. And also, that makes you credible before the world. Why should the world, you know, sometimes we look at, you need what I've got. And they go, well, why should I ever want what you've got? We need to display that through our fruit. Those orange trees I talked about, they caught my attention. I wanted to go up to one. I wanted to pick an orange. I wanted to peel the orange and I wanted to eat it. Or biblically, we would say we partake of the orange. How many people want to partake of your life and the fruit of your life? Well, Paul outlined it for us and said, this is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Somebody said one time, it's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk. Well, that's true. And if you are living in the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, you'll walk straight and your life will be credible and it'll be blessed of God and you will enjoy the fruit and you will reproduce spiritually. The fruit of the Spirit makes you blessable and credible, but never arrogant. And the fruit of the Spirit is unifying among believers because we're not conceited, we're not arrogant, we're not provoking other people, but we're encouraging them to good things. And we're working together on it. We're patient with each other. And we confront each other in love uh, for sin. And we forsake sin together. And we, and we are, you know, working together and praying one another. First Corinthians chapter... Um, Three verses six through eight gives us insight. I planted, Apollos watered. Yay for Paul. Yay for Apollos. No, but God gave the increase. This motif of fruit still. Verse seven. So then neither he who plants is anything, 
nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. When are we going to learn that? We're not as important as we think we are. It was God working through us. And he can work in great ways, powerful ways, public ways, or private ways. It doesn't matter as long as we're walking in the Spirit. Quit envying and being jealous of other people. But it's God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. They're both necessary. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, we're not saved by good works, and we don't produce fruit by our own good works or our efforts, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us does put us to work in the power of the Holy Spirit. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we bear fruit for his name and we are rewarded. So in conclusion, have you ever heard a tree moan and groan to produce fruit? I'm going to bear fruit if it kills me. You never hear that. A tree produces fruit because it's a tree, because it's planted, because it's growing. Some have better soil. Some have more sunlight than others. All of those kind of things. But that's not the issue. The issue is the tree bears fruit because it is a fruit tree. And they bloom where they are planted. And sometimes we tend to think, well, if I had been raised differently or if I had a different income or if I lived in a different place or if I had this or this or this or knew this or I would be so much better. You're not called to do that. You're called to bloom where you're planted, who you are. And uh, in, regardless of your environment, regardless of the soil, regardless of your age, it doesn't really matter. The other trees are not jealous. They're not depressed or discouraged when they look at you, and neither do they brag or act superior. They just bloom where they are planted. And you should do the same, bearing fruit for his glory. And as Jesus said in John 15, bearing much fruit to the glory of God the Father. Not just a little bit, not just what you think would be adequate, but let him do that work in you. Have you surrendered to him and are you bearing fruit for the glory of his name does your life match the fruit of the spirit in galatians chapter 5 well i'm sure it doesn't because none of us are perfect but that ought to be our desire that ought to be what we pray for that ought to be what we look for that ought to be what we desire for the glory of god good stuff isn't it may the lord bless you as you apply it to your life and as you teach your class Thank you so much for your time, and God bless you. And uh, we pray that as he does, that your life is filled with the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Again, God bless. Thank you.